Corinthians. Um, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Father God, just prepare us to listen and, and hear your word and, um, and be uh, thereby transformed, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. We're beginning a new uh, series of teaching this morning. Uh, we are starting a, a teaching series on things that we see in the scriptures that we want to be going on here at Real Life Church. And we will focus on things we believe that we should be strong in as a church. And I'm going to start this morning with, with unity. Uh, the church is to be a place of unity. Uh, God wants this to be a place of unity. Uh, we want this to be a place of unity. You know, it's just no fun uh, coming to any gathering of people where there's conflict and quarreling. Uh, many people do not look forward to going to family gatherings at holidays because they know that there will be tension and friction. Uh, some spouses don't look forward to coming home after work or having their spouse come home from work because there's an absence of unity. Um, I, I used to absolutely hate going to meetings when I worked at DZ years ago. Uh, because there, there was just so much finger-pointing uh, and blaming the company problems on each other, different departments. It, just, I, I, it was no fun, for sure, going to that. Well, this kind of atmosphere has no, no place in the church. And we start this, this series or this teaching series with, with unity because it's hard to do anything as a church, without unity. Uh, I mean, it, it's tough to create an atmosphere of worship. I mean, we could start talking about worship, but it's tough to create an atmosphere of worship without unity. It's tough to create an atmosphere of celebration or joy or praise uh, without an atmosphere of unity. Uh, it's intimidating uh, to use our spiritual gifts without an atmosphere of unity and a sense of oneness and love and acceptance of one another. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's just hard to walk into the building on a Sunday morning without unity. And, and I know, in fact, that there have been individuals who haven't come to church on a particular day because they're not in unity with someone else. It's just friction is not pleasant. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. And I think most of us would read that and say, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think we all have experienced how sweet it is to be in real heart-to-heart unity with others. And probably all of us have experienced how unpleasant or bitter it is when there's conflict. You know, in John 17, Jesus prayed that those who believe, really, it's really an amazing prayer for unity in John 17. Jesus prayed that those who believe may all be brought to complete unity to let the world or that the world may know that you sent me. And in another place in that same chapter, he says, may all of them be one that the world may believe that you have sent me. And if the world is, is drawn or the world is inclined to believe by our unity and oneness, uh, no wonder our unity is constantly under attack. And I'm, I'm talking about our unity either in, in our homes, our marriages, uh, in our families, in our churches, our friendships. No wonder it's constantly under attack. Matthew Henry said, uh, Satan has always endeavored to stir up strife among Christians as one of his chief devices against the gospel. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 6, he said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one, or for emphasis, I would add, for there is only one body. Only one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. So our oneness, according to that verse, is based on the fact that we actually are one in in. In so many ways, we are one in the Spirit. We are one. We have one Lord, one God. Through for true believers in Christ, we have one God who is Father of us all, who is through us all, and who is in us all. So our oneness is based on a spiritual reality, something that we can't see or touch, but a spiritual reality that we all are actually. One, we, we, we have different gifts, we have different things we emphasize, we have different convictions, but at a, at a much deeper level, all true believers in Jesus Christ are one in the Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit has, has himself created this unity, because the Holy Spirit has himself given us a oneness in him, we actually have to to violate or act against the spirit in order to move into quarreling and disunity. It is not something from God. 
This verse uh, from Ephesians also shows us that the, the church is not just a gathering of independent people. You know, we feel and we look like we're totally independent, maybe even feel like we are isolated from one another. But we are not. We are not according to the scriptures. The church is a fellowship of people who share the deepest common bond. There is, there is something deep in me that is connected to something deep in you. There is something in your spirit that is connected to the spirit of other believers. The spirit of Jesus Christ really is in you and really is in other believers. And this is the reality, this reality, this spiritual reality, this spiritual oneness in Christ is what is the basis of of our being united. And this, this oneness... In the scriptures, this oneness that that Paul talks about, this oneness that Jesus prayed for, is is to result in in a real experiential oneness. Okay? This in other words, this oneness is to result in relationships where there is true friendship, affection, and love and peace with one another. We can't just say we are one. We can't just say we are brothers. We can't just have a doctrine or a teaching that says that we are one in Christ. We actually have to have peaceful, affectionate, personal, non-divisive relationships with one another. That's the kind of unity that the Bible talks about. And we just finished book, teaching through the book of 1 Peter. Look, look at the way Peter closed his letter. Greet one another with a kiss of love. That was the kind of relationship he expected the people that he was writing to to have with one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. And throughout the book, Peter addressed his readers, his people, as beloved. There was, there was a oneness, a unity that was to be experienced. Colossians 2.2 Paul said, my purpose is that they, that they all may be encouraged in heart and united in love. The ESV, and I think the New American Standard says that their hearts may be knit together in love. So, so this oneness is, I, I just want to get away from the idea that this oneness is just a, like, like, like a doctrine or a, a uh, sort of a, 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 a positional truth or something that, that really doesn't impact us. No, it's a being united in heart, being having our hearts united by being knit together. Now, this sounds pretty good, and I think sometimes when we talk about it, it sounds like it should be easy. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be that simple, Uh, different interpretations of scripture, just the divisive tendency of of human nature, uh, different preferences, different opinions that we have, uh, this can all cause division. Well, in this first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 
Paul had, Paul had a long, if you know anything about the book of Corinthians, Paul had a long list of things he wanted to correct in the, in the Corinthian church and the way that they functioned as a church. <clears throat> but he started right off with the issue of unity. And I, I have to think that he considered the divisions that were going on among them as the most important issue that needed to be addressed and therefore the first thing that he addressed. Now, Paul was not at the church at Corinth at this time himself, but he had received a report from uh, somebody that was somehow associated with a woman named Chloe. And that's all we know about it. I could go into infinite amount of speculation about her and if it was friends of hers or business associates or whatever, we don't, or family, we don't know. But in verse 11, he says, For it has been reported to me my, by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And Paul did not want that going on. So he immediately appealed for this to stop and for there to be agreement among them, for, them, for there to be no divisions among them. This year for Christmas, my daughter, Alyssa, uh, gave, me, gave me a book. She gave me a couple of books. And one of them, um, I believe the title is The Earth Weeps. And it was about the defeat of the American Indians at the hands of the U.S. Army in the American West. And one of the most interesting observations in, the, in this entire book was his theory that the Indians could have won, actually thought the Indians could have defeated the U.S. Army and at least gained much greater concessions and much greater territory if they had recognized themselves as Indians. We see them as Indians. The white men saw them as Indians. They saw themselves as Cherokees or Pawnee or Navajo or Sioux or whatever. They did not see themselves as Indians. They did not see themselves as one people. They were divided up into tribes who often were at war with each other as much as they were with the white man. And that's why when uh, even the U.S. Army went out to fight a particular Indian tribe, a lot of times there was another Indian tribe traveling with the U.S. Cavalry or at least acting as scouts to help them go defeat these other Indians. They, they didn't see themselves as one people. So in, in, in this book, he, he points out how Indians were wiping out other Indians to, to the degree that they could not effectively fight off the U.S. Army. And, you know, the moment I read that, I thought, you know, that's exactly what happens in church. Many Christians do not see themselves as one people in Christ. Instead, they see themselves as belonging to Christian tribes who are at war with one another and basically go through their entire Christian life identifying with a tribe, not with Christ. They might say that they really, that, you know, that, yeah, that we belong to Christ, but in reality, the way that they live 
and function, they see themselves belonging to a tribe of Christians who are shooting arrows at other tribes of Christians. And that becomes the, the reality too often in the church. And this was exactly what happened at Corinth. The believers did not have a vision of themselves as one in Christ. And so they split into these quarreling parties or tribes. Um, and Paul wrote, there are quarrels among you. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which is just an Americ, an, an, the Americ uh, name for Peter, or I follow Christ. So the problem was uh, that people in each group uh, considered themselves better or more spiritual uh, or more correct because they associated themselves either with Paul or Apollos or Peter, or Christ. In other words, they they became proud over the teacher they most identified with and fought or quarreled with those who followed uh, someone else. And it was kind of, it, to me, it's, it's kind of like a, a, a boxing match with four corners. I thought of this, you know, in... in I, they don't have boxing anymore, I guess, but they, when I was growing up, used, there used to be such a thing as boxing and Friday night fights and so forth. But there was, uh, you know, they, they'd say, in, in this corner of the ring is so-and-so, and over in this corner of the ring is so-and-so. And uh, then the bell would ring, and, and they'd come out and start fighting. Well, it's almost like, you know, in this corner are those who say we follow Paul. In this corner are those who say we follow Apollos. In this corner are those who say we follow Peter. In this corner are those who say we follow Christ. And the boxing match, match begins. And there's just all sorts of friction and fighting and quarreling. It's a, it's a, it's a, little, a little like, uh, it's a little bit like little boys getting together and saying, my dad is better than your dad. You know? I mean, it sounds really innocent to say, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Peter. But what they were really saying is, I am better than you because my guy is better than you. And that's what the little, a little boy is really saying. I'm better than you because my dad's better than you. And that's kind of what was going on here. I'm, I'm more right than you because my guy is more right than your guy. Now, we don't know the details uh, of what was going on here exactly, but just a little bit of uh, speculation. Uh, those in Paul's group may have been saying, well, well, Paul started more churches, or Paul has a greater understanding of the doctrines of grace and liberty. Uh, remember, Paulus had to be had, had to be helped out with his teaching. It was a little, little off. Some people had to come correct him. Peter had to be corrected by Paul at Antioch. So we are of Paul. We stand by him. He's, he's the best. He's the most right. Those in the group that followed Apollos may have said, you know, we, there's just an eloquence, a, a, a dynamic power when, when Apollos speaks that we don't see in Paul. You know, Paul was considered not impressive in speech and appearance. 
But Acts 18.24 says, Apollos was an eloquent man, mighty in the Scriptures. And perhaps the more educated or the intellectual gravitated toward Apollos and says, we are of Apollos. Others may have said, hey, Peter is better than both those guys. He's greater than either one of them. You know, he, was among, he was in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Uh, he gave the sermon at Pentecost. He was the, really the, the founder and the pillar of the church at Jerusalem, the first church of Jesus Christ at Jerusalem. Uh, we know that there were some at Corinth who had trouble accepting Paul's apostleship. And perhaps it was some of them who said, Peter, Peter is the guy. Peter's the one we should follow. And then some said, everybody else is all wrong. We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus Christ. Which sounds so right, and it is right. Except that they apparently used their their position that they were followers of Christ, they used their correctness to look down on others. In other words, in in saying that we are of Christ, they were saying to these other groups, well, you are not of Christ, at least not in the same degree or with the same purity that we are of Christ. How, How subtle pride can be. Well, the problem was not not with Apollos or Paul or Peter, certainly not with Jesus. Uh, the problem was with the people and something in their hearts that caused them to turn these different teachers as a, or turn them into a basis for fighting against one another and quarreling with one another. You know, what, what makes uh, church quarrels or quarrels among Christians so difficult to snuff out is because they are often about spiritual matters or what what we consider spiritual matters. I mean, I'm sure these groups at Corinth felt that they were being very spiritual to adamantly cling to Paul or Peter, Apollos or Christ. It It can seem so spiritual to have wars over spiritual things, but it's not. So Paul dealt with it firmly and right off the bat. Now, there is a healthy sense in which we follow and appreciate those whose life and ministry has been a blessing for us. I mean, that, that, there, there's, there's, a, there's a balance here. I mean, Paul says, it, says that we should highly esteem those who uh, labor over us in the Lord. Um, Perhaps you were saved through the work of a certain person or ministry or church. Um, Or perhaps you've been blessed by the teaching of someone or their ministry or their books. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, But what can happen is this. Even though we might say our devotion is to Christ, in reality, it can be that our, our, our real devotion is to a certain to a certain teacher or author or theologian or a church or a church doctrinal statement. And that person or that entity can be the, the one that you really think has the answers for you, the answers to life, the answer to the Christian life. And before long, that person or people associated with them becomes 
kind of the only one that you uh, listen to, um, and it can just go so quickly from there into that's my teacher, that's my group, and everybody else that's not in this is not not quite right. Now, um, our challenges to unity may may be different. Uh, Quarreling over who follows the better leader may not be an issue uh, for most of us here. But quarrels can be over anything. I mean, quarrels, quarrels could be over what temperature we keep the room at, um, or if we do or don't like a particular song. But the point of, of all of this in Paul's message to the, to the Corinthians, the point is that any issue that we come up with that divides us into these warring or quarreling parties or tribes is not right. And so Paul deals uh, with this, this uh, quarreling at Corinth with three questions. Uh, no, the first question, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? So whatever the reason for a quarrel, this is the first question that everyone needs to stop and consider. And just as, we, just as Christ is not divided then we should not be divided because we are part of him. We are one with him. C.S. Lewis said that, he's talking about human divorce, and he said, um, divorce is more like having both your legs cut off than dissolving a business relationship. And it hurts so bad because there was real union there. In a a business relationship, there's not that kind of union. And it's the same with with divisions within the church. It, It hurts so bad because there is a real union there that's being broken up. There's a real oneness. There is a real oneness in the Spirit. Uh, that's being torn apart. So the first question, uh, when, when, we're, when we're struggling uh, with a brother or sister or in a, a Christian friend or spouse or in church, is, is Christ divided? And the obvious answer is not. Second, was, was Paul crucified for you? Uh, no matter how great you think a certain teacher or theologian is, they have one great lack, and that is they didn't die for your sins. Calvin or Arminius did not die for your sins, and no living teacher today died for your sins. And this question, where, where, where was Paul crucified for you? Uh, it was to, it was it was. I, th- I think it was kind of like a, a a kind slap in the face. It was just kind of like wake up, and he was trying to show the vast difference between any human leader and Christ. And it was to it, it was a question to jar us awake to being drugged down into wars over men. Our our oneness is in the one 
who was crucified for our sins. And the third question was this. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? We're not going to talk about baptism this morning, okay? Because that's really not Paul's point here. Baptism is a means of identifying yourself totally with someone. And when you were baptized into Christ, you were identified, you identified yourself totally with Jesus Christ. Your identification is with Christ. No one at Corinth was baptized in the name of Paul. They were all baptized in the name of Christ, or perhaps in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said at the end of Matthew. Paul did baptize some there, but he goes on to say he was thankful that he didn't baptize more people at Corinth so that no, so that no more people would go around boasting that they were baptized by Paul or baptized in his name. And so Paul's point is baptism identifies you with Jesus Christ, not someone else, not with a church, not with a denomination, not with a theologian, not with a theology. Baptism identifies you with Jesus Christ. So, if Christ is not divided, if no one else was crucified for our sins, and if we were baptized into Christ and into his name, then we must live and act in unity in Christ. Which brings me back to verse 10, the the very first verse in this passage, which I purposely skipped over. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. See, upon, upon hearing of their quarreling, Paul appeals to them to come together and that there be no divisions, that they not tear the body apart. In effect, he said, you, you are one in Christ. Now act like it. Live like it. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when I read that verse, it seems like a daunting task. I appeal to you that you, that you I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions, that you, be, that there be, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. To agree there uh, literally means to say the same thing. And you, you, he's calling them to, to commit to say the same things. To, he's calling them to, to commit to be in agreement. Um, I don't think that Paul had in mind that Christians must have exactly the same opinion on, on every detail, on every issue. Uh, in, fact, in fact, we know that Paul acknowledges that believers will have different convictions on, on what they eat or drink, uh, or whether they view certain days as holy or everyday alike, etc. Um, but I think, there, I think there is a sense in which we can be in agreement, which we can speak the same thing, which we can be in harmony with one another, 
without trying to press some kind of uniformity uh, that just just isn't there. Um, for example, one example I thought of is, is in marriages, there are uh, usually a little bit different ideas on how to discipline your kids. Uh, there might be just an issue that comes up and you have a difference of opinion on how to di- di- discipline your kids. Or uh, what, what they're allowed to do or not do. You know, there's just, there can be a difference, difference there. Now, those, those differences of ideas or opinions can break out into, our, into a fight or an argument. Um, they, can, they can break out into an argument in front of your kids. Or you can say, okay, we, have, we, we see these things a little bit different. We need to talk this through and come to unity and come to agreement and present that unity to our kids or we need to operate as a couple out of this agreement. We need to say the same thing here. And so our aim, though we may see things a little bit different, our aim, our commitment is to agree and to come to agreement, uh, not to, not to uh, uh, sort of take a my way or the highway uh, position on things. And uh, I remember that, that was a statement I picked up from my, from my very first boss I worked for. And I remember uh, some guy said, you know, said, Irvie's a great guy, but it's always his way or the highway. And uh, that's, you know, we're, we're, we're appealed to, to come together in agreement. A commentator uh, named Benson said that this verse means that you do not unnecessarily and unkindly contradict each other but rather maintain a peaceful and loving disposition toward each other, that there be no alienation of affection from each other. He also went on to say, we should delight to speak most. In other words, we should talk most about those things, those great and excellent things in which as Christians you cannot help but be agreed. There's, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of truth in that. Matthew Henry said uh, something very similar. <clears throat> he said, in the, in the great things of religion, and he means of Christianity, in the great things of, of Christianity, be of one mind, and where there is not unity of sentiment, still let there be unity of affection. Agreement, this is still Matthew Henry, quote, agreement in the greater things should extinguish divisions about the lesser. So, in other words, uh, we, we might say we, sh- we should all agree on the great essential truths of the gospel, and where we differ, we should still show a kind and loving spirit, an agreeable spirit, if you will, and not back ourselves uh, into the corner ready to uh, come out quarreling. All right, there's, there's, I want to move on and just kind of summarize what I think are, are key things um, to, uh, to take away from, from this message on unity. 
And by the way, you know, I, I think for the most part, we experience a lot of unity here at Real Life Church. I mean, I, I love the unity and the oneness that, that we experience here at Real Life. Um, so, uh, I mean, my appeal mainly is, is that, this, that this is to characterize us where it does praise God. Where we need to excel still more, let's excel still more. But it's so important, I think, to keep this at the forefront of, of, our, of our hearts. All right, the, the first key thing, I think, take away from this message is that the, the tearing apart of, of the body into factions is a spiritual problem and requires a spiritual solution. I mean, there, there's just not always uh, six steps to solve your problems. <laughs> there's just not always um, a, a, a series of things that you do that, that gets you to where you want to go. It's, it's a spiritual problem, and it requires a spiritual solution. I've always been fascinated by the two uh, dear ladies that were quarreling at, at uh, Philippi that uh, Paul just said, I urge them to live in harmony. He didn't resolve their issues. He didn't fix things for them. He didn't give them a series of steps to do. He just says, I urge you in the name of Jesus Christ to live in harmony, which is what he does to the Corinthians. He just says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you get in agreement and stop your divisions. Quarreling is a is a tendency uh, or a disposition that we inherited from Adam, not from Christ. Uh, it's a part of the old man, not the new man. Uh, Galatians 5 says, The works of the flesh are evident. Strife, dissension, divisions. And so quarreling, divisions, it's something we must stand against just as we would stand against pornography or adultery or drunkenness or witchcraft or everything else that Paul mentions in that passage. Galatians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the whole law concerning human relationships is complied with in the one precept, you shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. But if you bite and devour one another in partisan strife, which is what was going on at Corinth, but if you bite and devour yourself or one another in partisan strife, be careful that you and your whole fellowship are not consumed by one another. I think I wrote that down out of the Amplified. I'm not sure I didn't make a note on that. But anyway, I think that very clearly explains that. So, I mean, the ultimate solution to strife is that, is, is that we, the flesh must be crucified. We must consider ourselves crucified people and must walk in the Spirit with passions, uh, passions crucified, walking in the Spirit, to live in the kind of oneness that Christ calls us to. Secondly, which, which really is, is, is related to that, that, it's, that it's a, it requires a spiritual solution, unity is kept by spiritual revelation, by realizing, by the revelation that we... And every other true believer is a part of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is my unity with you and your unity with me. 
And if, if, we, if we had more of a revelation of that, uh, we would say, well, you know, man, I, can't, I, possibly, I can't possibly fight with you over this. I can't possibly divide with you over this because Christ is my unity with you and yours with me. Christ himself, uh, Christ himself is the supreme truth around which we gather and around which nothing can divide. Christ is large enough, and only Christ is large enough and sufficient enough to keep us together. And when Christ is big, when we have a revelation of, 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 of the bigness of Christ, and I hope that communicates something, but when Christ is, is very large in our vision, when He is first and foremost in our affections, then we can have the kind of unity that Paul appeals for. If our loyalty to Jesus, if our devotion to Him, if our love for Him, if our glorying in Him so supersedes our loyalty or devotion to, to, uh, to another man or theology or church, then we can be one with each other. It's when, it's when we become overwhelmed with Christ that we can enjoy pleasurable and sweet and overwhelming unity with each other. And a part of this revelation that we, that, that we need, that un- unity uh, comes through revelation, is, is keep keeping our eyes upon the revelation of Christ crucified. Keeping our eyes upon the cross of Christ. You know, right, right from this warning about divisions, Paul went right on to talk about the cross, the message of the Christ, cross, preaching Christ crucified. That to us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. And, and he, he wraps up this, this chapter, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And if the more that we boast in Christ, the more that we glory in Christ, the more that we rejoice in Christ and in the message of the cross, uh, we will not fall into the devil's trap of, of fighting and quarreling over lesser things. So when you're, when you're tempted to speak with, with contempt about another Christian or maybe even someone in your family um, or another group of Christians... That, w- that would be a good time for you to come again to the cross of Christ and, and look upon Christ crucified for you and Christ crucified for them. What he did for you, he did for that other person. And of course I'm talking about true believers born of the Spirit. And that, that is what enables us to walk together in, in the sweetness of Christian unity. And then one final thing uh, that I, that I want to share, and in some ways it may be the most important thing that I have to say this morning, um, is that unity, unity is a matter of the heart. And it must start in your heart. And as important as it is to come to agreement on things, 
And I think we should work to coming to agreement on things. It has to start in your heart. I, I read uh, just this morning, I was looking at notes on, from a, a sermon from a, for a guy that I, that I have I've looked at and I, and I appreciate a lot of his teaching. But he referred back to, uh, to an old song that most of you don't know that was, uh, we are one in the Spirit, uh, we are one in the Lord, and we pray that one day all unity may be restored. And uh, he, said, he began his message on unity by saying, I want to start by saying how much I hate that chorus. And he went on, to, for three quarters of his message on unity is basically why, why, why we can't and shouldn't be in unity as Christians. And I understand, I understand there's things, you know, there's issues, and, and I can't go into all of that. But it broke my heart to see a, 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 a pastor, a teacher, a man of God saying... Um, how much he hates that chorus, that we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and we pray that all unity may one day be, distort, be restored. And at the very end of his sermon, he, he concluded by saying, and we are not going to sing the chorus, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and we pray that one day all unity may be restored. And when, when those kind of things are in our heart, we will never have unity. Unity has to start in your heart. You must desire unity. You must desire to be in unity with your brothers and sisters and family members and church members. You have to see it as a really big, important deal that you really want. It must matter to you. And where this love of unity does not exist in the heart or it is viewed as a very low priority, there will be friction and division. If this love of Christian unity has a large place in your heart, there will be unity. So what is in your heart? Does this love of Christian unity have a large place in your heart? And I can tell you this. Unity, unity is in the heart of the new man that he has created you to be in Christ. And if, if you will put on the new man... If you if you live in the new creation, there there is you will find a desire for this oneness. You will pray for it like Jesus prayed. You will make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This will become something very important to you. But it has to come, it has to start in our hearts that we have to be people who who want and desire this sweet pleasant unity in Christ let's pray
Father, we, uh, we thank you that you have taken people like us, in some ways so different, different ways of thinking, and, and particularly with the, the tendency of the human heart toward, toward splintering and tearing apart, rending, rend, rending the body of Christ into factions and divisions. That you, have, that you have taken people like us and brought us together and made us one in Christ, one in the Spirit. We thank you for the miracle of that. Thank you for the, the absolute miracle. And God, we thank you for this spiritual union that we have with one another. And I ask you to open the eyes of our heart to see it, May we have a revelation of it. May we love this. May we love this truth that you've brought us together in one body. That you are God and Father of us all and through all and in all. And that we revel and glory and boast in Christ crucified for us. And that we find our oneness and our unity in that. God, we uh, just pray that you would, where, where, we are, where we are experiencing great unity here at Real Life Church, we ask you to just bless that and increase that. May it become even more pleasant and more sweet to us. Lord, where there's relationships or uh, situations or areas where we need to grow in this commitment to agreement and unity, Lord, we, we ask you to, to do a a great work and start start this morning start in our hearts right now today in Jesus name we pray amen thank you for coming this morning and uh